0: This message is brought to you by Alliance Bible Church, located in Mequon, Wisconsin. Our vision is to captivate generations with the satisfying gospel of Jesus Christ. For more information about Alliance Bible Church or other resources, please check out our website, myabc.church. Operating Systems Computer Operating Systems. Now, that sounds like the start to a really exciting sermon, doesn't it? Listen, I might be a millennial, but I'm not a very techie millennial. So if you are, uh, feel free to correct me on this observation later on, okay? Um, In fact, Tuesday this week would be really good for that. I'm out of the office that day, so um, come see me then. But although I'm not a very techie guy, all right, my understanding is that every desktop, every laptop, all right, whether it's a PC or it's a Mac, has their own operating system. And the operating system is what brings the hardware of the computer to life, all right? And, and they all have really fun and not so little names like, like Mac OS 29, Mavajo 10.3, or, you know, whatever it is called today, right? And they all have them. They all have different ones, and they all have different slogans to describe how this operating system is better than that that operating system when it comes to speed or when it comes to virus protection or user friendliness or or cost or or whatever. And, And taken all together, that operating system gives a completely different experience to the encounter of that computer itself. That computer itself. Now, 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 for me, though, to try to explain anything more than that on how a computer operating system works, really functions, and I would be lost at sea, right? Where I'm guessing I would find most of you out there swimming with me, right? Because an operating system seems really, really complicated, and if you've ever gone over to that tech guy at work or your brother-in-law who's like really good with computers or something like that, you know, and you asked him about the computer's operating system or like which one's better, you know, Windows or OS or something like that, um, you'll notice that there's almost this classic move that they do. They they kind of like sit back a little further in their chair, and then they they take a deep breath and they fold their arms and they say. Well, as if they're about to launch in this really long story that they're not sure I'll understand, and I'm not sure I'll understand either, or I'm really all that interested in after all. And listen, when I think about our faith, I think, I think that's how some of us feel about following the Holy Spirit, about walking by the Spirit. Walking by the Spirit is to be the new way a Christian is to operate, is to live. And yet there seems to be a lot of confusion, a lot of complexity surrounding what that is. I mean, sure, we've got, we've got some sayings to describe that, to kind of throw some, some, some stuff out there. Uh, we, we might have had some experiences that we associate with living that way, or have had some bad or weird experiences with somebody else who's claiming to operate that way. And if asked what it means, what does it really mean to walk by the Spirit? Pressed on that, I'm not so sure how far we could get in an explanation. At least one that would make much sense. And if we ask someone else about what does it mean to walk by the Spirit, and we watch them kind of like sit back, breathe deep, fold their arms, and say, well, we, we might get the idea, the suspicion, the sneaking suspicion, that maybe we aren't able to understand this. And maybe we don't really want to try. but, If we do that, we've actually made a serious error. In writing off understanding this aspect of our faith, we actually stunt our growth and leave ourselves open to being deceived into operating a different way under some other sort of system, as we'll see in a moment. And practically, then just as the fog of life and all of its busyness and its complexities begins to actually settle in on your world, we begin to realize that, that we don't really understand what's happening in our hearts. We don't. We, if, that, if that's what, what's going on, we don't really understand how the walking by the Spirit works. We won't understand what's happening in our hearts, and we won't be able to move forward and And grow, and if we do grow, we won't understand how it happened or even perhaps how to handle it. The result of not understanding our operating system as Christians will be a general feeling of confusion about how even the basics of a Christian walk actually works. And so without Without sitting back this morning, breathing deep or folding our arms, all right, let's dive into this this morning and get to work answering the basic question of how does the Christian walk work? How does the Christian walk work? To do this, I want us to turn uh, in our Bibles open to Galatians chapter 5, beginning in verse 16. Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. In the book of Galatians, it's a letter to them. The Apostle Paul has been unpacking our new operating system. He's, he's, he's pulled it out of the box and he's started explaining that there's only one gospel. There's only one gospel and there's only one way that a Christian walk is to work. And he's astonished at how the Galatians have so quickly turned away from it. Because of some false teachers who had come in and what they had done is they had twisted and distorted the truth and pressured others to follow a message that said you need to believe in Jesus and you need to keep the Mosaic Law in order to be right with God in order to follow God correctly and and Paul corrects this false understanding and he explains the ultimate point of the Mosaic law was to show how sin had corrupted everything and how we need to be made right before God. He points out how instead he and the apostle Peter and Abraham and we ourselves have only ever been made right with God through faith not through a moral resume, not through good deeds, not through law-keeping or anything else. And now, since Christ has come as the fulfillment of God's long-awaited promise and the fulfillment of what the Mosaic Law was actually pointing us towards the whole time, we now stand in this new freedom that he talks about. A freedom where, ergo, we are no longer operating under the Mosaic Law that Christ has fulfilled. But we operate under what he instead calls, in Galatians chapter 6, the law of Christ. The law of Christ. And that law is the implications of the gospel for how the Christian walk is to work. And all throughout the New Testament, we see this law spelled out for how to love God, how to love others. And yes, it even draws at times from the moral laws of the Old Testament to do so. But see, our question, even after all that, it still stands, doesn't it? It still stands. How does this new Christian walk work out for you and me? I mean, you and I, we are still in a broken world, facing temptations, attempting to live differently. How does this actually work? How does the Christian walk that Paul is explaining actually work out? Where's the interface between the manual God's given us and the hardware that we're living in and the virus we're competing with and the functions that we're attempting to carry out and... And you, and me, us. How does all of that come together? Let's take a look. Galatians chapter 5. We'll see. Verse 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh and we'll come back to the flesh in a moment, are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law, right? Romans 8, the law weakened by the flesh couldn't make us righteous. Thankfully, we're under the spirit. Verse 19, now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. Don't miss that last line. Things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And Paul gives a summarizing statement and warning here. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited provoking one another, envying one another. We'll stop there. Now, Paul will follow this out here with some practical implications for how this should work out with a group of Christians living this way. But everything we need to get to the heart of our question is actually already here. Simply put, what Paul is dealing with here is our will and the spirit's role in it. Paul's using these uh, these 11 verses to set up a contrast between two ways of living. There's the way that is defined by the flesh and there's the way that's defined by the spirit. Now to be clear, because I don't want any of us making the error I made when I first started studying this passage years ago. The flesh is not talking about arms and legs, okay? The flesh is an umbrella term that's talking about the corrupting effects that sin has had on every part of our lives, from our motivations to our cooperation to our relationship. The corruption of sin is not relegated to our physical bodies, right? Right? And operating out of this sinful corruption called the flesh is how you and I and everyone else starts out in life. But if you're a Christian, it now operates as a competing virus. Christ has broken the flesh's enslaving authority over your will. And he has sent the Holy Spirit of God, the third person of the Trinity, to be with you, creating in you a new way of living a new way of operating in every part of our lives. That's what it means to walk by the spirit. It's a picture of living according to the new presence of God's spirit in you. And that's the point I don't want us to miss this morning. As a Christian, you have a new operating system. And this is great news. How does a Christian walk actually work out? It works out because the Holy Spirit is renewing our way of living. The Holy Spirit is renewing our way of living. It works out because the Spirit is at work in you, putting the pieces together. It works because the Spirit's at work. You see, you and I, we were not meant to carry out the Christian life by ourselves, trying to adhere to some big list of rules, struggling hopelessly under this heavy and complicated weight in which failure is simply then defined by more guilt and shame from not being able to carry it. Friends, that is not our design. Thankfully, rather, we live life by faith in the Spirit and freedom and forgiveness and obedience because he is the one who is renewing our way of living. The spirit of God is carrying the weight and it is he who is paving the way. And our command, because walk by the spirit is not a suggestion, it is a command. Our command is to stay with him step by step, step by step. As we are with him, he enables all of this through his presence and through his power. And the work that he's doing in this is a guarantee, a down payment of the entire presence of God to come. But do we believe that? Do we believe that it is He who actually energizes, that it's He who carries the weight of the Christian walk, that it's He who goes before us, that it's Him who is now energizing the way we live to be able to re begin the walk with God, the life with God that we were intended for from the beginning. That this happens because God has placed His presence and power through the third person of the Trinity in our lives. C.S. Lewis reminds us of a great example in this. He says, God made us, invented us, as a man invents an engine. A car is made to run on petrol, and it would not run properly on anything else. Now, God designed the human machine to run on himself. He himself is our fuel our spirits were designed to burn. The food our spirits were designed to feed on. There is no other... Brothers and sisters, in the the struggles that are present in the Christian life, you and I, we only make progress. We only advance by walking by the Spirit. When our Christian car, as it were, is running off of God. When He is renewing our way of living, making it possible to walk with Him. He's bringing about the Christian life in us. And that happens step by step by step, which in this text we could examine further, looking at the renewing effects here in at least five areas of living. Five areas of living. Really, this is, a, is looking at five areas of our will and the Spirit's role in sanctifying it. And these are five areas in which our walk, our way of living, then becomes by the Spirit. And these are what I wants to look at next so that we see how this renewal in our operating system actually plays out step by step. Look back at verse 16 with me. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the, and the uh, desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from what? Doing The things you want to do. So, friends, right out of the gate, we see in this new way of living that it deals with our motivations, our desires, what we want. Our motivations in decisions is the first area that the Holy Spirit is beginning to renew. So, we are then being renewed from the inside out, but it's opposed. It's opposed. The desire that comes from the Holy Spirit's renewing work in our lives, that those desires are opposed and they're resisted at every turn by the corrupting effects of sin. And we're all familiar with that struggle. We're all familiar with the internal tug of war, right? But note a couple of things here. Because isn't it comforting to know that the Bible looks at our motivations with the expectation that they're in conflict? The Bible expects you to experience a conflict in your motivations. Also, isn't it important to recognize that in the midst of temptation and confusion, that the Spirit of God is also at work creating a competing desire to do what's right? You're not on your own to simply cook up a motivation to do what's right. And church, we need to then wake up and we need to embrace this reality of the conflict in our motivations that's really here. And we need to see what's really going on. It isn't random. It's not benign that you want to do this and you want to do that. It sends opposition to God's desire through temptation. So don't be surprised. Don't be surprised. When you go to pray and a distraction shows up. Don't be surprised when you go to forgive someone and suddenly all of these other feelings, all these memories of past wrongs start to surface. Don't be surprised when you go to do something good and godly and then you begin to feel the fear of what somebody else will think of you doing that. Don't be surprised when you go to put in an honest day's work and someone invites you to cheat, slack off, and it sounds great. (laughs) The flesh is in opposition to the new motivations of the spirit. It's not random. It's not random. However, this is also not some kind of yin-yang, 50-50 angel and demon on each shoulder kind of situation either. Although the desires of the flesh are set against you as a Christian, they are not in charge of you anymore. They have not been empowered. In fact, instead, you have been empowered for a new direction. Look at verse 18 with me. Verse 18, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now, at first glance, that verse, it may seem somewhat random in reading it, but it isn't. Remember what we had said prior, the Mosaic Law, those laws about clean and unclean and all the sacrifices and so forth. They couldn't do anything to stop sin. It just served to point it out all the more, right? Romans 5.20, where the law came that sin might increase. But in contrast, thankfully, we're not under that law. We're not under the Mosaic law, but under the Spirit. This verse is dealing them with the enabling power of carrying out these new motivations from the Spirit as you are being led by Him. It's saying, yes, there's opposition, but being led by the Spirit enables a new direction. In the midst of the conflict with the flesh, See, this is kind of like the uh, first time I went to teach my son how to uh, how to catch a baseball, right? Uh, we, we went out into the yard, we got our gloves on, and uh, I, I got the ball, and I, I tossed it gently to him, and what did he do? He ducked, right? And then I got the ball back, right? Said, oh, don't do that. You know? And I get, and it, it tossed it to him again, and what did he do? You know, watch it. You know, sail by, right? It, right? And and after a while of going through this, it began to feel like I was, you know, just simply there, going wrong, 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 right. And pretty soon, I knew I was doing it wrong because he left and went inside the house. Um, <laughs> why? <laughs> why? He needed something more than just to know he was doing it wrong. And see, ultimately, the mosaic law wasn't intended to get us anywhere. It was intended to show us the depth of our sin and how much we needed a Savior. And in a sense, it stood there saying, wrong, wrong, wrong. But the good news for the Christian walk is that since the Savior has come and has given us his spirit, so we are no longer powerlessly stuck now between two opposing motivations. Instead, we are led by the Spirit of God. And so there's hope of progress in a new direction as we walk in being led by the Spirit. The Spirit doesn't just sit there telling us how we're doing it wrong and leave it at that. He leads us. He shows us the right direction to then walk in. So though the the Scriptures expect opposition, they also expect progress in the right direction as the Spirit leads. Mired progress? Absolutely. But progress in some sort, nonetheless. Now Paul advances this situation further. Here explaining the actions associated with the opposition. Let's take a look at this list of actions that we are being renewed from. Verse 19. Now, the works of the flesh are evident, right? As in obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, as in wild unrestrained parties, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. See, friends... When you think about this list of items, I want you to think about the state fair. With all the wild concoctions of food that that place has produced. Not in your wildest dreams, I would bet, would you ever think of frying a Twinkie, right? But they have. And they fried one of everything else along with it. Uh, Now, I want you to imagine with me eating a fried Twinkie. Right? That, that amazing sweet and fried taste just filling every taste bud of your mouth for a moment. Followed by what? A lead rock sinking to the bottom of your gut, right? And now just, just, now, now just imagine keep repeating that cycle over and over and over again and how sick you'd get. That's like the works of the flesh though. Sweep for a moment a lead rock in the pit of your stomach the next. And this list is far from exhaustive, we're told. We don't know what the flesh is going to fry up next, right? There are things that are like drunkenness that are a sin and not listed here, such as getting high. There are things that are like fits of anger that are sin and not listed here, such as writing some scathing diatribe of complaints on Facebook. The good news about these actions, and the actions not on the list, is that the works of the flesh are evident. They won't be hard to spot. They're going to be as easy to spot as a fried Twinkie. All of us are facing desires, motivations from the flesh that change from day to day, hour to hour, but as the Holy Spirit is renewing our way of living, these actions, they become incompatible with this new direction. And note, the the word here, do, it has a connotation of practice. So we can ask ourselves, is is one of these actions my practice? Do, Do one of these actions define me? Have I made an accommodation for one of these sins in my life? Or as Pastor Brian said a while back, for the Christian, you have declared war on your sin neutrality, making some amount of accommodation for a certain sin, perhaps it's enmity, maybe it's strife, maybe it's these fits of anger. If you make accommodation for these actions in your world, that's not an option for a Christian. If you're being led by the Spirit, instead what we find in being led by the Spirit is heading in the opposite direction of these actions. We're, we're, we're called to purity. Instead of sexual immorality, impurity and sensuality, we're called, we're called to worship rather than idolatry and sorcery. We're called to unity, rather than enmity and strife. We're called to contentedness, rather than jealousy and fits of anger. We're called to peacemaking, rather than rivalries, dissensions, and divisions. We're called to self-control, rather than envy, drunkenness, and orgies. If we're following the Spirit's leading, rather than the flesh's, then here's what that outcome is going to begin to really look like. Verse 22, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. As with the prior list, these verses, they aren't meant to be exhaustive, but to show the kind of life that is the result or the production of being led by the Spirit. And this isn't simply one of them, but all of them. As someone else has read, the fruit of the Spirit... It's not a checklist to work through, but the unified blossoming of a heart liberated by the gospel of grace. This is a beautiful picture, church. And this is the direction that every life being renewed by the Holy Spirit is headed in. Though it doesn't always feel like it. C.S. Lewis once wrote on this too, saying, Take the case of the sour old maid, who is a Christian but cantankerous. On the other hand, take some pleasant and popular fellow who has never been to church. Who knows how much more cantankerous the old maid might be if she were not a Christian and how much more likable the nice fellow might be if he were a Christian. You can't judge Christianity simply by comparing the product in these two people. You would also need to know what kind of raw material Christ was working on in both cases. You ever felt like a cantankerous old maid? I know some of us feel swamped by problems. We feel swamped by pain. We feel swamped by temptations, if we're honest. We feel swamped by situations that put us at our wit's end. And all of this together, progress seems minuscule. Take heart. Take heart. Why? Why? Because it's the fruit of the Spirit. It's His fruit. It's His production in our lives. The clear emphasis from the passage is that we walk with Him step by step, and He'll take care of the fruit piece by piece. The outcome of our lives and of the other Christians around us are ultimately in His hands, not ours. And, and so we have to be careful how much fruit inspecting we do. Paul will give instructions, in fact, right after this section, for how things with somebody else who maybe is headed in the wrong direction is to play out. But we need to be careful to keep our primary focus on our part, trusting God to take care of his part. So then, where does that leave us? With the Holy Spirit renewing our way of living by giving us new motivations, power for a new direction, away from an old set of actions. Seeing the production of a new set of qualities, where does that leave us? It leads us to cooperation. Cooperation. Verse 24, And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. You know that little reminder that uh, you get on your computer screen for whenever there's a new update that you need to make? If you're anything like me, you see that and you hit whatever button it will take to make it just go away, right? You know, remind me in an hour, remind me tomorrow. I click remind me next year if it would let me. And the bigger the update, the longer I resist it. And if that thing has a new name attached to it, I just don't want to touch it altogether even though there's no point. There's no point in resisting it. There's no point in putting it off. There's no point in trying to take the easy route of resistance to something that has already moved on. And Paul points out that for the believer, the old way, the flesh, is dead. If you believed in Jesus, there's no point in anything else. If you repented of your sin, the old way of the flesh is pointless. Our sin of going back and living that way is nothing less than spiritual insanity. Spiritual insanity. And so here he addresses the final aspect of our will with cooperation. Francis Schaeffer once wrote on the Spirit's work and salvation, saying, when this has happened, I'm not supposed to set up a rival center in the universe all over again. That would be contrary to the whole thing. When I have accepted Christ as my Savior, I am to be in my appointed position, in the proper place, and in a personal relationship with God. This is that for which we were made for in the first place. If the flesh is dead, then walk by the Spirit keeping in step with him, cooperating with him. This is what you were made for to begin with. Cooperating with him means embracing the godly desires. It means following this new direction. It's embracing the new set of actions in complete dependence on his strength and goodness, not ours. It means celebrating the new qualities he's producing, considering any other way of operating as being pointless. And Paul says, If that's you, don't become prideful. Don't become envious. As Theodore Roosevelt said, comparison's the thief of joy. Don't get caught up in a lose-lose game. No. If you're walking by the Spirit, keeping in step with Him, celebrating His fruit, if that's you, then welcome. Hit the update button as needed and embrace the whole new way of living and present to the renewing work of the Holy Spirit in every area of your will. You'll be glad you did. Let's pray together. Father, this is where we're at. This is exactly where so many of us feel. We feel that tension of wanting to follow you and the opposition to it. Lord, some of us are in here and and we've been beginning to even sense a call to follow you for the first time. We've we've resisted it for years and years. But Lord, I pray that you would melt our hearts. You you would motivate us all the more to head in this direction, that, that we would see the leading of your Holy Spirit and we would long to respond. We would embrace these new actions. We'd follow you. And we'd see a new life as a result. And God, would you guard us? Keep us from pride or envy when we see a new life blossoming in our hearts or in the heart of the person sitting next to us. Help us to simply be cheerleaders who look at all of your work and say it was by your Holy Spirit and able to celebrate that in every regard with perfect confidence that he who began a good work in us will bring it to completion. God, we just claim that scripture and we look forward to how you're going to do that. Amen.